1994, at Christmas time, Amy and I were living at uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was getting my master's, about to wrap, the, wrap up that uh, educational experience. And Amy, uh, uh, she pretty much paid for uh, just about all of that, and uh, eternally grateful to her and her hard work. Uh, but in spite of that, didn't have any money. You know, as it is with uh, young preachers in seminary, typically uh, they're, they're living the dream. You know, poor and just hoping in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and uh, loving one another and making it the best you can. And uh, we'd been married about two years, and uh, for that Christmas, uh, she bought me a book. Now, you might think it'd be a theological book, maybe a commentary from one of my favorite authors, but no, it was a cartoon book. And uh, it wasn't uh, Calvin and Hobbes. It wasn't one of my other favorites, uh, the, um, the Far Side. But this was a cartoon book filled with about 100 different individual cartoons. And on the outside, the name of the book was David, We're Pregnant. Have you ever been overjoyed and terrified at the exact same time? You know, well, that was me. You know, and, and the problem was I didn't think I was ready to be a dad. And, but now, you know, 23 years later, I, I think I was right. I wasn't ready. Um, you're not ready, are you? You're never ready to be a parent until, you, well, you just, you're a parent. And, uh, and, and so ready or not, that clock is ticking. It doesn't slow down for anybody. Good times or bad times, it's coming. So, you know you've got a, about uh, about seven months or so to go. So about it's about seven months later, and um, that clock was ticking. Nothing will make you grow up quicker than having a baby on the way. And I've heard one pastor say that uh, uh, there are no accidental children. There are some accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. But uh, even even the youngest teenagers that, that find themselves uh, having a baby on the way, they're, they're going to grow up pretty quick. And they're going to lose a lot of uh, years that they could have spent uh, preparing for life otherwise. But, uh, but by that time, you know, we were married and we were uh, excited to have this baby on the way. Didn't have any money. But day after day, as she was with child, and that's the term that I like. I like the, that's the biblical term, with child. It's better than pregnant. What's pregnant? What's that mean? But with child, we know what that means. Because the idea of with child means there's a child in there, right? And so day after day, as she was with child, uh, the thought of being a dad became more real. And so I finally started doing what, what real men do. I talk to her belly, you know, and that's what that's what real men do. And so, you know, you start talking to that baby, that, and there's nothing more masculine than talking to your baby that's still not around yet. And you know, you say all the important things like, "Hello there, this is your daddy. Are you in there? I'm looking forward to meeting you." All of those fun things, and and uh, after a while, the baby, you know, when it was a certain size. It would start to punch back or kick back when I would talk to it. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I don't know if Amy thought it was cool, but I thought it was cool, you know. 
And so uh, I would say all of those things. What I should have been saying to that baby was, when you're 20 years old, don't buy the Mini Cooper. It's going to cost both, both of us a fortune. Or, hey, how about trying to study in high school? Scholarships are fun. But I didn't say those things, right? And, 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 you know, you don't know exactly what to say or if the baby would even listen to you anyway. But you don't know how to be a parent until you really are one. And you can read all the Dr. Spock books. Or if you know who Dr. Spock is, you're old. I'm telling you right now. I know who he is. You can read all those Dr. Spock books in the world, right? But it still doesn't help you all the way. Why? Because the baby hadn't read those books. That baby's going to do his own thing. And you think you're going to be a good parent and hit that ball out of the park all the time? That baby's going to throw you a few curveballs. You just never know. So what do you do? What do you do? Your best. You just do your best and ask the Lord to bless and you'll be fine. Because God has a way of growing up His children even if the parents mess up from time to time. And, uh, and by the way, I said God has a way of growing up His children. Please remember that. They are His children. Those kids, those little ones, some, for some of you it's grandkids, for some of you it's great-grandkids. They're God's kids. And if you're a parent, God has given you the privilege of paying rent on those kids for about two decades. But you got to let them go someday. You've got to give them over to God. And so when Timothy was born out there in that room in the hospital in DeRitter, Louisiana, I gave him over to God. The best I knew how. And sometimes I've uh, wanted to try to reclaim ownership of them, but those kids that we've got, they're the Lord. Well, this sermon today, it's about parenting, but not that kind of parenting. Not the kind of parenting that I've been talking about, really. It's about what I call spiritual parenting. And by that, I don't mean raising your kids in the Lord. That's another topic and a good topic. But by spiritual parenting, I'm talking about helping a younger Christian, younger in the faith, no matter what age they are, helping them grow to maturity. And so, no matter at what age we came to Christ, the Bible has a term for us, and it's spiritual babies. And I, I mentioned that one time, and this one guy got very offended, an older gentleman who was a new Christian. He got very offended. He didn't like being called a baby. And I understand that. And it's, it's not a derogatory thing. It just means that your faith is brand new. Your faith is new just like a baby is new. That's all it means. And so... What do you do with the newborn baby? And what I want you to do today is when, when I talk about a baby, a physical baby, I want you to consider the parallel that needs to exist between that experience and a new Christian, someone who had just come to faith in Christ. And so what do you do with the newborn baby? Well, I'll tell you what nobody does. Nobody goes up to a newborn baby, no right parent in his or her right mind, goes to that baby there in the hospital room and says, you know, I'm just so glad you're here. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to feed yourself. 
You need to clean yourself. And our address is right over here, just a couple miles away. Make sure you show up there. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Nobody does that to a baby, right? But that's what we do all the time to new Christians. We haven't done, generally speaking, we haven't done a real good job in American Christian experience of being spiritual parents to new babies. And so new believers, new believers need an extra level of care. They need an extra level of attention because they are God's children, just like your physical kids are God's children. And not only are they God's children, God has given new believers to us to care for. And God, I believe, will hold us accountable whether we do a good job caring for those new believers. So sometimes we don't do a, a real good job. We don't care for God's newborn spiritual children very well. You know, at best, some, some churches, they try to acculturate new believers into the, into the body of the church. They might have a new, new believer class, something like that, and, and that's good. That's a good effort. Um, and, and so some churches will, will, will try to do that to give those kids, those, those spiritual kids, those spiritual infants, uh, sort of a, a new uh, set of directions. But inevitably, what, what usually happens is this, that churches have a tendency to insulate those new spiritual babies from their own sphere of influence, from their own friends who need to know Christ. And it's almost as if churches, when there's a new Christian, Churches say, well, come on in and we'll protect you. and Stay away from those bad people out there that you used to hang out with. And so they do. And we've missed an opportunity to share the gospel to those people. We've missed an opportunity to teach the new Christian how, in his own words, to share his own faith with his, with his fellow friends, his friends who need to know the Lord. And, but most churches don't even do that. Most churches, uh, if we're being quite honest, ignore new believers. And when we do that, we're basically entrusting those spiritual infants to, them, to their own care. We're casting the responsibility for their own spiritual growth from us, where it should be as spiritual parents, to them. And so... We have to surround them with the family. You see, God has a plan for helping new Christians survive those very early months and, and days and hours. And that plan includes us being spiritual parents, us taking on that responsibility. And so here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to consider the people in your life that know the Lord who might need you to serve in this analogy as a spiritual parent to help bring them along a little bit. I'm not talking about micromanaging anyone's life. I'm talking about being there for people who look up to you. Now, the challenge is very obvious. The challenge is that many of us feel unequipped or ill-equipped to do this. Why? Because I bet, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, I bet that most of us did not have good spiritual parents. And I'm talking about someone who one-on-one -on -one could answer our questions, who could guide us and we could go to 
and especially in those early days of our faith in Christ. Most of us probably didn't have that. Most of us were sort of just told, hey, go to church. You need to go to big church. You need to go to small church. Big church is worship. This is a big church right here. And then you need to go to small church. That's Sunday school or some type of small group setting. And, and so we've done a good job at having big church and, and small church. We, we know how to do that. Uh, but here's the problem. If you're a new believer in Christ and you just all you do is come to big church, you don't develop relationships in big church. This isn't just this isn't set up well for you to sit down and have a cup of coffee in here and talk. Okay, if you were to talk all the time, I might even ask you to leave so I could talk. And, and so it's just not set up well here in this in this room to do that. But what about small church? What about Sunday school? Sunday school is a fantastic place for you to make friends, to grow in, in your knowledge and in the Lord and ask questions. But Sunday school is not sufficient for all things. And here's what I mean. If you're a new believer in Christ and you bring into your new faith in Christ some deep-seated issues, some habits, some things that's just a, filled with junk, the chances that you're going to share that in Sunday school and be well-received is pretty slim and none. You probably won't even share it. You know it'd be cool? It'd be really nice if you had someone that you could trust, someone that would keep things confidential, someone that you could share your heart with and just say, hey, this is going on in my heart. This is going on in my life. This is going on in my marriage. This is going on as I'm raising my kids. How do you do this? And that person talks to you one-on-one. And they don't blab it around town. They're not gossips. But they truly care for you. There's something beyond big church and Sunday school that's needed. And it's for people, for each of us, to be spiritual parents to people in our lives who need some one-on-one attention. There are three things that parents essentially provide. Number one is nurture. This is By nurture, I mean affirmation and love. Affirmation and love. We'll talk about that in a minute. Number two is modeling. And this is a living example. You need to model. That's how kids learn from us, and that's how we are to teach others in our faith. And the third is nourishment. By nourishment, I mean food and cleansing. That's how you nourish a body, and that's how someone is nourished spiritually. So take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. And I'm going to read this passage, and as I read this passage, you follow along, and I want you to pay attention to the wording here that describes being a mother first and then being a father, okay? And these are the analogies that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians. He's writing back to the church. He's talking about when he would, uh, when he would, he first came to the church, how he reacted to them, how he led them. And he's basically saying, I treated you like a mom and I treated you like a dad would treat their kids. We begin in verse 7, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, 
but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you, as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says to them in verses 7 and 8, essentially this, I was like a mother to you. And in verse 7, he describes the gentleness of a mother. Verse 7, it says again, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. A mother is gentle. The most important thing that a mother provides a newborn is not information. The most important thing that a mother provides a newborn is not to correct every mistake that newborn makes. But the most important thing a mother provides a newborn is this individualized attention and care to each child, which makes them secure in her love and in her acceptance of them. That's what a mother provides. And that's what we have to provide new believers. Someone comes to faith in Christ or someone's not very mature in their faith, they might not need a ton of theology as much as I love theology. A new babe in Christ might not need to be corrected every time they do something wrong. They did something wrong, they said a cuss word. They picked up the cigarette. They wore a hat in church. They did something, they created some faux pas that you think shouldn't happen. They might not need to be corrected all the time. By correcting someone who's that young in their faith all the time, you might actually wound them. And there's something more important than the cuss word or the cigarette or the hat or the whatever it is they did wrong. It's their heart. I'm not saying there's never a time for correction. There is. But there's also an understanding that the Holy Spirit dwells in them. Allow the Holy Spirit to correct them. Allow the Holy Spirit to correct them. I'll give you an example. Some years ago, and I, I forgive me if I shared this before, there was a but there was a um, a young man and his and his girlfriend who were in their twenties, late twenties, came to faith in Christ, and they were living together. Well, and you know that we would probably frown upon that, right? But they were living together, and they had kids, three or four kids. I forget how many they had. I mean, they were a family unit. They've been together for quite a while. Here in Texas, we'd say that's a common law marriage. But nevertheless, they weren't officially married, but they came to faith in Christ. I led them to, to know the Lord, and they were so excited. And this young man especially, he had never heard anything about Jesus, never heard anything about the Bible, never had been to church. This was all completely brand new to him. 
And he was just blown away by this idea that there was a God who loved him. And so we were talking about uh, their, their new faith in Christ. And he said, so I can be a member of the church now? And I said, well, I tell you what, the first thing we need to do is you need to be baptized. And, uh, and then uh, we can talk about church membership after that. And I was sort of putting it off a little bit, and, and, I, and he was a little inquisitive, and I said, well, I'll tell you, uh, at our church, to be a member, we have what you might just call sort of a, a code of honor. And it's, it's a commitment that we all have to one another, a covenant that we're all going to live According to the, the according to the standards of Scripture, and he said, "Oh, okay." And he just sat there for a minute, right there in his kitchen uh, dining table. He sat there and he said, you "Mean like me and her living together?" And I said, "Well, yeah, that might be something that uh, might be a standard that uh, the church would have." That, that the church would want people there that, that are living together to be married. But I didn't bring it up. The Holy Spirit did. And that made all the difference. If I brought it up, then it would just be me telling him this, me telling him that. And he wouldn't be living up to my rules. But it was the Spirit of God in him. The other thing that happens when the Spirit of God leads a new believer is it proves to you that the Spirit of God is actually at work, that this thing is real. And so uh, they eventually did get married, and they did become members, but it was the Spirit of God that needed to lead them in that. A mother is gentle. You've got to be gentle with new believers. Secondly, verse 8, and we'll move quickly. A mother is sacrificial. Look what Paul says. He says, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become very dear to us. A mother is willing to give up her life for her child. Now, later on tonight, if, if uh, some of you ladies that have kids happen to be out at night and some big, mean-looking guy twice your size, literally twice your size, he comes up to you and he's going to threaten you. You're probably going to run away unless he's threatening your kids. If he threatens your kids, you're no longer going to run away. You're no longer a woman half his size. Now you're a mad mama, twice as mean as he is. You've turned into mama bear, okay? Why is that? Because you're willing to put everything on the line for your kids. You're willing to sacrifice. Same thing is true with a new believer. If you're going to take on the challenge of being a spiritual parent to someone who's newer in their faith, there's going to be sacrifice. Okay, It's going to cause you a little bit of pain. It's going to cause you a little bit of time or cost you a little bit of time. Paul says, I was like a mother to you. And then he switches the analogy. He says, I was like a father. Look at verse 9. He says, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul says, I was, I was a hard worker, just like a dad. He's going to get to the dad part in a minute. But he says, I was a hard worker. There's nothing worse than a lazy dad. 
Okay, and I'm talking about a man who won't provide for his family. There's nothing worse than that. I'm not talking about some guy who's down on his luck, who's out of work. Because we've all been there, and that's the worst feeling in the world. But I'm talking about a man who will not put down the video games and go get a job and provide for his family. Okay? There's nothing worse than that. The proper example of a man is that he's a man who is a hard-working man. He provides for those that he's responsible for. Paul says, I was a hard worker as well, just like a dad. Verse 10, here's something else a dad should be known for. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. A father should be a man who lives right. Righteous behavior. A father should be a man who lives according to what's right and what's wrong. He knows the difference, and he lives his life according to that standard of what's right. And when you ask your dad, hey, why did you do this? Because it's the right thing to do, is the answer that comes out of his mouth. It's just the right thing to do. Paul says, we just did the right thing. We had righteous behavior before you, and you saw that just like a dad. Verse 11, it reads, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Third thing a father does, he exhorts, he encourages, he uses his words to compel his kids to the right way of living. A father instills confidence in his child. When a child says, hey, I can't, do that. A father says, no, yes, you can. We can. I'm here with you. We'll do it together. That's what a father does. Paul says, spiritually, I was like a dad to you because spiritually, I worked hard and you saw that. And spiritually, I lived the right way. And spiritually, I encouraged you when you were young in your faith. This is how a parent of a new believer should live. What's the goal of raising kids? Get them out of the house, right? That's the goal, right? The goal of raising kids, if we put it more broadly, it's maturity. Maturity. We want our kids to be mature. We want them to grow up. We want them to move on. And how do we know when a child is fully mature physically? Well, when that child is able to reproduce. How do we know when an animal is mature physically and that animal is able to reproduce? How do we know when a tree is mature physically that tree is able to reproduce? And how do you know when a new Christian is mature spiritually? When that Christian is able to help other people come to faith in Christ and grow them. Spiritual maturity is our goal when we're working with people in this disciple-making process. And so if I was to ask you the question, if you led someone to Christ, what would you do next? Would you know the answer to that question? Or... If you knew of someone who is a new believer in Christ and you felt, you sensed from the Spirit of God that He was calling you to guide them 
as a spiritual parent, what would you do with them? Let me encourage you to do these things with them. Number one, you got to be friendly. You got to let them know that you're there for them. You got to encourage them. And encourage them, I would say, first of all, if they've not been baptized, to be baptized. Because being baptized is like cinching a nail. You know what it means to cinch a nail? You put that nail in, and on the other side, you hook it. And you're not getting that nail out, are you? Once you hook that other side of that nail, you can't pull it out. That's what baptism is like. It's like taking that faith and hooking it in, and it's not coming out. Because you remember getting in the tank and getting wet in front of a whole bunch of people, don't you? You remember that experience. Okay? And so encourage them as soon as possible to be baptized. Second thing I would do, I'd get them a Bible. If they don't own a Bible, buy them a Bible. You buy them a Bible. Get them a Bible. And uh, make sure that they are reading God's Word. There's not a substitute for God's Word. And I would keep them in close fellowship with other Christians. They need a church home. They need a larger family. I'm not saying that there's no place for a Sunday school. There is. Absolutely, they need to be in a small group. Absolutely, they ought to be in big church if they can at all come. But they need a church family. Because there's some things that a, a parent by himself or herself cannot always provide. I would encourage them to confess their sins to God because it's not going to take long for that new believer to mess up. And the question that comes in their mind might be, well, does God love me anymore? I accidentally said his name in vain. I yelled at someone that I shouldn't have yelled at. Did I lose my salvation? Does God hate me now? They don't know. You got to share with them 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, just confess it to God and He'll cleanse you. Because a new Christian, they get messy. Just like a baby gets messy. And the baby has to be changed. The baby has to be cleansed. And you might have a little messiness that you've got to deal with as a parent. But it's an awesome opportunity to teach them God's way. So please remember, new believers, they're going to use curse words. They're not going to dress the right way. They're going to get angry. But you've got to be patient with them. Be patient with them. Allow the Holy Spirit to correct them. Who do you know that needs help growing spiritually? Is there someone that you could begin to pray for and ask the Lord, Father, is there a way that I can reach out to them and help them grow?